Hey, my name is Iso, and welcome to the second episode of How We Work. So this week I have a conversation with my buddy Adam, who is a really good friend of mine and someone who I feel like I have some of the best conversations with. Every time I have a conversation with Adam, I walk away having learned something or thinking about something in a different way or learn something about how he thinks about the world that informs some way that then I can think about the world. Just like really, really good deep talks. When I shared this episode with Carla, who's helping me out with this podcast, what she responded is, he's so wise. And I think that's a really good way to explain it to explain him and explain this conversation. He just has a lot to say about making your way through the world in a unique way. He's had a really unique path. He worked in tech for a long time. He was a big part of the game Second Life, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. He went on to start a liquor brand where he actually made stuff like gin with Wild Forge Nori, so really creative stuff. And now he's making a Parkinson's drug, which I think is pretty amazing. He doesn't have any background in biotech, but he just saw the need. His dad was getting sick, and he saw the need to make something, and he's actually having a lot of success with it. And I think that's what's so interesting about him is he just jumps into really disparate fields, and the way he's able to do that and the way he's able to build confidence in these different fields and the way he thinks about it, he's really taught me a lot, and I think you'll learn a lot from this conversation. So I actually met him a long time ago, back in my underground dinner days. Uh, I used to run an underground supper club I called The Wild Kitchen. And basically it was like 100-person, eight-course tasting menus. Everyone would sit at these big communal tables. And the idea was each course focused on a couple wild forage ingredients. He approached me because he had a winery and wanted to partner on one of the dinners. Um, so we did that together and just kind of been friends since. He, he's just a really intriguing person, so I'm very drawn towards him. Overall, I think it was just a really great talk, and I think you'll learn a lot from it. I know I did. I actually split this into two episodes, so this is the first half of it, and you'll hear the second half next week. I hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to start off by just asking you to talk a little bit about yourself, like what you do, what you've done. I've known you for a really long time, and I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn about some new career you've had. So do you think you could just kind of briefly go through the things you've worked on over the years? Sure, I'd be happy to try. Um, sometimes actually when I talk to you, I remember things I've done that I'd forgotten I had done. So mm. um, let me try and lay it out. I think the, the bulk of my career has been spent, I worked in technology. I essentially um, designed software, built software, managed organizations that built software. Um, I've done that. I did that for about 25 years, actually. And I had a per very particular expertise that developed while I was doing that, uh, which is in complex systems behavior. So how uh, generally how millions of people interface with millions of other people in unpredictable ways. So it was mostly behavioral systems versus you know, technology systems or anything like that. And behavioral systems work is particularly useful in everything from uh, consumer behavior to military and intelligence to large video games. Um, it can be applied in all sorts of different ways. And so that's really, as soon as I gained a love for the craft of behavioral systems theory, I it took me into a lot of different spaces. So my expertise was in that. My medium was generally software, 
And um, I worked in a consulting company where we did organizational change, design, um, sort of big solutions to big problems for various corporations and governments. I did that for about 10 years. Um, Then I moved into, I worked for a a very formative company uh, in, in my life called Linden Lab, and they made a a virtual world called Second Life, which was the most complex and eye-opening environment I ever worked in. And then I worked for LinkedIn after that, so social networking. I worked for uh, an Omnicom company doing consumer behavior. So again, all in that sort of space. And then in 2014, so about 10 years ago, I left that. Um, tech had changed. There weren't a lot of builders left, and we can talk about the difference between what I would loosely define as builders and miners. Um, but uh, I have always had a love of working with plants and coevolution of plants and humans and plant chemistry. I already owned a small winery, and so I just moved full time into that and opened a gin distillery. I spent the next several years doing that. And then I, um, my father became very ill with Parkinson's disease, and I essentially merged those two backgrounds. So my love of chemistry and plants and really kind of the neuro- neurological impact of plants in our bodies um, combined with my systems background. And I started a small biotech where we um, use a very different approach to engineer therapeutics for neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's, ALS, now there's a lot of long COVID, um, and that's I consider at this point in my life sort of the culmination of of all of my background. That's all I got. <laughs> that's all very cool. No, I mean I think it's I think I've, I've I've always been really impressed by yeah kind of the breadth of the things you've done, and also like just especially like especially jumping into biotechnology like that just the confidence it takes, right? To jump into a field that you don't necessarily have a lot of history in and just make something new and think about it differently. It's just, it's yeah, it's really impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if it's confidence or stupidity. I'm still not sure. I think it's, I think that there, there's this tendency to believe that the problems of the world are somebody else's problem. And the realization I had when my father got sick and I started to look at the state of research around neurodegenerative disease is that we had we had given the problem to people who were very, very smart, um, but they were thinking about the problem in a very specific way. And I don't know that it was working, right? I mean, one thing I've learned in my career is that if you take the same approach to something for decades... Um, it's probably has more to do with the approach than anything else. And so you need to shift it. You need to get different heads on it. You need to be thinking about it in orthogonal ways. You need to have different ways to engineer solutions. And so at that point, it's my problem. It's not somebody else's problem. It can't just generally be a societal problem. If there's a problem out there, I feel like I have something to contribute to. I'm going to make that contribution. And, um, the real challenge with that is dealing with the, the egos who are involved with it. And so the trick is winning people over and helping them understand that you're not, um, they, 
they are there to, to add dimensions to the understanding of the problem space, uh, to maybe even reevaluate the problem itself. Um, but you're not really there to challenge their credibility in any way. So I think one asset that I have, um, which isn't just this sort of blind confidence, is that I'm a very good listener. I'm very understanding of where people are coming from, what they need. And if you work with people and you come from a good place, they're very open to having new ideas. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it, to enter into a situation like that and really just like focus on listening and not try to like steamroll your way into it. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, and I think I would include myself in this, would be really nervous to enter a situation like that, right? To like walk into a room full of PhDs who have been working on a problem for 30 years, have like a ton of confidence in what they're doing, have, uh, you know, books full of studies on the mm. direct approach that they've been taking, like a lot of evidence that says that what they're doing is the right thing. You know, of course, there's the evidence that it hasn't worked. But like, as far as they're concerned, like, it's just a process and it will work at some point soon. Um, and enter into that room and basically tell them that, you don't think they're right and that they need to change the way they're doing things or you want to try a new way. Um, yeah. W like where does that groundedness come from? You know, it's a hard question, but it's something that like, I really, it's something I think a lot about with you specifically is you just kind of have like this real groundedness where you just kind of keep moving forward on these things that I think would be intimidating to a lot of people. Well, Early on in my career, the, um, the consulting behavioral design work that I did, I think that gave me a really unique insight into how to work with people, you know, with a lot of prestige or experience, people that were, you know, seriously outranked me, I suppose, but had real problems, right? So I would essentially be put in a position at the age of, I don't know, um, in my mid to late 20s, I suppose, of, um, you know, of talking with CEO of large multinational organizations about their problems. Um, and to do that, you, you just develop a, uh, you flex the muscle around how to listen without bruising people's egos. Um, and you gain credibility that you are, that you're on their side, that it is, Basically, in this world, everybody wants everybody else to be successful. And you just have to subtly remind them of that, that you're not a challenge. You're there to help everybody be successful. Um, and the way, the way to approach those things isn't um, to tell people the right way. It's simply to share experience as to what you've seen work in the past, right? So um, if I walk into a group of people who are, you know, long time neuroscientists, PhD, all of that. Um, I can't tell them what will work, but what I can tell them is in, in, in my experience, you know, working with people with the disease, working in software, working in all these different environments, whatever it might be, whatever experience I'm, I'm pulling from that it's worth considering. And so I just present what, what I've seen and whatever data I have. And I'm not really making any assertion whatsoever about it, except that it's worthy of further exploration. I think the mistake that you make, particularly with, with you know, 
bioscientists is that you assert things that you can't prove. And I don't do that. I assert things that I've observed. And I've always done that when I was consulting for big companies and governments. I didn't assert what would work. I just told them what I had seen work at other organizations and in similar types of problems. And, um, and then you let them own it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like walking into a situation like that without too much ego is a bit of the secret. Yeah. I it mean, is. It feel, yeah. Cause like, you know, you walk into, I can, I can imagine for myself walking into that kind of situation and really wanting to prove that I deserve to be there, you know? And it seems like the way that you would try to prove you, you deserve to be there is try to be very confident, um, try to show them you really knew what you were talking about and that what you were talking about was correct. Um, but it's not the right way. You know, I mean, and, and, and I've realized that definitely like through some personal evolution, um, but I still do it. And I think a lot of people do it when I'm in a situation that I feel maybe that I shouldn't be there or feel uncomfortable. Um, right. And yeah, like, how do you, uh, yeah, how do you put that aside? You know? Yeah, no, you're totally right. It isn't, uh, what you describe isn't the right way. In fact, I usually <laughs> walk into a room and I, I've seen people do that, um, where, they feel like they need to, um, they imagine that there's enough that they could learn and uh, let people see that they know where they're going to gain that credibility, but it, it doesn't work like that. So the appropriate thing is to show, is to use humility entirely, right? Which is just make it clear that I make it clear. I have, I have no idea on most of these things. But the area, but here's what I see, and here's the areas where I do have ideas. Um, and so I definitely use a lot of deference when I approach those situations. Um, and the other side is I wouldn't go into that situation without, without a cause on my side. So I think part of it is just knowing what, what I'm doing is, is true and honest and I have this group of people who are suffering as my really my only my only stakeholders, right? Like I, I'm not doing it for money. I'm not doing it for prestige. I don't want to win a Nobel Prize. I'm trying to help sick people. And in the same way, when I would work with big corporations to help them with their problems, I was genuinely trying to help. I wasn't trying to convince them of anything or make a lot of money or do anything like that. So I think there is, I check my intentions with those things. Um, I don't, I don't need them to think that I'm smart. I need to get to a solution. And I, in my experience doing very innovative projects across all sorts of different industries, um, there's one essential ingredient and that's diversity of thought, which generally stems from diversity of background. So um, whether you're um, building software, doing organizational consulting, or working in biotech, the recipe for, for getting stuck is to take 200 people with the exact same background and the exact same PhD and put them in a room trying to come up with solutions. They will come up with precisely zero solutions at any given time. And... 
the only way to break that is to bring people with different backgrounds. And so I think even the even the diehards get that a little bit somewhere in their heads. And I do have a certain kind of proof because um, in that particular case, I work closely with people with these diseases and I, that's its own sort of evidence. So is, is their improvement. So. Mm. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. I think the intentionality is so important, right? Like you see, you know, not to compare you to someone who's, very religious but like you see in religious people and it's something that i'm honestly really jealous of like just a really like deep peace they're a hundred percent sure that what they're doing is right and you can almost see it on the face of someone who's very religious that they just are totally calm in the fact that what they're saying is the truth and that what they're trying to do is the right thing to do um, because they have this background of like their intention really is to be helping people. Um, and it feels like in your situation that there is that same kind of just like pure intention. And maybe that that's the thing that makes you feel calm, right? You're just coming into a situation. You're not trying to, you're not trying to sell anything to people. Cause I think, I think for me, whenever I'm in a situation that, I get really uncomfortable like that. It's because I feel like I'm trying to convince someone of something. I'm trying to sell right. them on some idea that I kind of believe. Like if I'm trying to like fundraise, for example, which just stresses me out more than anything else. Uh. Like I'm trying to convince them that they should invest in this idea that I do believe in, but I'm not 100% sure. It just, I feel like I don't have that kind of like rock solid clarity. Whereas when I'm doing a Kickstarter, for example, I feel really good about it because I'm like talking to people that I think actually I'm, I'm introducing something to people that I think is actually really good for them. So when I feel like I'm really introducing something to someone that's positive, I'm not uncomfortable at all. Um, and so maybe that is like just checking your intentions and being really clear about why you're doing something before you're doing it is the way to kind of overcome that anxiety. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I feel the same way about, I feel that way about all sorts of things that can, that would otherwise be uncomfortable. Um, I, like it gives me comfort, but I think maybe more importantly, it gives them comfort to know that I'm not, that I'm not driven by commercial ends. Right. I think for mm-hmm. all of us, it's, it's kind of, and I've kind of, I've experienced this a lot throughout my whole career. It's kind of hard to believe but there are actually people and I'm one of them where I just really like to collaborate and participate. Even if I get a little screwed, right? Like, like Mm. I just, I am not, I'm probably not focused enough on money. Um, but people can see that in me. Right. And they believe that I'm coming from a good place and that I'm not there to, again, I think if you approach biotech, like you're not trying to rob everybody, or um, win a Nobel Prize without having really deserved it, then I think people generally will accept you. But if we were to talk for a moment about um, intent, I feel the same way about you know public speaking and um, you know essentially any the the trick is to always be doing things for the right reason, and then a lot of other things disappear. 
Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think that over the years, the more I've tried to focus on doing things for the sake of doing them, like doing things because I'm really interested in them or because I think they're right, the and less about how people are going to receive them, the more mm. comfortable I've become, right? And I think that's, that's true. You know, it's like if you were walking into that room with all those PhDs and your goal was to prove them wrong and make a billion dollars, you would be very uncomfortable because you'd have a ton to prove, but you're walking in there because this is a cause that you really believe in, that you've done some work and you think you can help. And it's like, it's for personal reasons. Um, and so you, you kind of, you have that, that groundedness, right? In that situation. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that you, you do this some as well. I'm an avid believer. This is probably more of a practical thing. I, I, I'm an avid believer that, um, in reaching out to people in the world, right? So if if there is, um, I don't know, it could be a Nobel Prize winner, it could be, um, you know, my neighbor, it could be some venture capitalist I worked with 15 years ago, whatever it might be, I'm constantly trying to put things out there. I'm, I'm not much of a networker per se, but I am a big believer that, um, what I do is I like to wake up every day with the possibility that I can be surprised. And the only way you get surprised is if you put some tentacles, some feelers out into the world so that people know what you're trying to work on. Um, and some people will have interest in that. And, and so what I've found is a lifetime of doing this. So I suppose that's the root confidence is just the ability to just the belief that we're all people. And at that one-to-one -one level, if I send a note to somebody, um, they, they can respond in a different way without all the organizational bullshit and everything else that might surround it. And I've been able to build relationships that way with people who encourage the pursuit of these things that other, you know, that when my thing is crazy, like going into biotech, um, I reach out to, you know, uh, heads of neurology at large institutions. I reach out to foundations. I, I share, share what I'm doing and they come back with support and that support builds, you know, it keeps building and building and building. And I think that we forget um, in that sort of, in that what am I selling to these people type exchange that you, that you laid out. We forget that, um, we are sort of in this world of abundance. And again, people do kind of want everybody else to be successful. So um, it's not me against the world. We're kind of all in it together. Yeah, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good thing to think about, you know, and like a really good lesson. And it came up actually in another conversation I was having. Um, yeah, that just reaching out to people is like the superpower, right? Like most yeah. people just feel like, you can't do it. Like if someone like is a little bit famous or is like notable in some way, they kind of imagine, Oh, they won't, they won't respond to me. Oh, they're probably getting reached out to all the time. But the reality is most of these people aren't getting reached out to that often at all know, right? and are like so happy. Like, like I, I've made a practice of, of writing to authors of books I really like. Uh huh. Yeah. Like I'll just like write them low. It's like, Hey, I really love that book. Like this is what it taught me. Just like want to let you know that, 
I like your work. And like, they always respond, you know, because they're actually not getting as many letters as you imagine they would. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and to your point about reaching out to people, kind of like planting seeds to build that confidence, I think that's something that's really smart too, because yeah, it's like, you're entering into something that you don't really know how to do it. Like this podcast, for example, is is something with me. Like uh-huh. I'm trying to figure it out. Don't really know how to do it. I can do a lot of research, right? But then what I've started to do is actually reach out to people who have podcasts that I really like. And just like the fact that I'm somehow connected with them gives me more confidence that this is something that I can do, right? That I can like reach out to one of them and ask them to for feedback on something or what they think of an episode or just like a little note on something. Um, it really changes, it changes the feeling of you from kind of like an outsider to this person who has this community of people like in this field. And I think it's amazing that you would do it to something in biotech too, but it's really, it seems like a lesson for like any industry, whatever you want to start, just like start reaching out to people, learning about it, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, um, yeah, and it's something that other people do for us and then we do for other people. And it's sort of a, sort of a beautiful thing where we connect. I think the people talk about building confidence, right? That's a phrase that's used. And I think for me, um, that is one way that I build confidence, I think, but I think that culturally we actually tend to, identify people as this like confidence is this kind of innate quality right like you're born confident that person is confident um which i think that there is that type of confidence i don't think it's as useful as the type of confidence that you that you build in small ways right where you you begin to get yourself acclimated to an environment you're going to find yourself in um, where you you get a sense for the the terminology the Um, In biotech in particular, it's all the things that are known but are never spoken because they're generally known, right? So you can be really excited, for instance, by a scientific paper that you read that nobody else is excited by because it's just common knowledge. And so that's kind of where you get into mistakes is is that actually in that that more casual side of things. Um, But yeah, and, and I think that there's... I know this about you too, and and you just touched on it briefly. You got to listen. I mean, you got to listen to what people have to say. And I think that I was, the early part of my career, I think I was much more defensive, you know, worried about what people would think about me, was got kind of over-prepared on everything to a to an unhealthy state. Um, I was very, very concerned about that. And then... Um, you know, and I'm not alone in that. I think most of us feel very defensive a lot of the time. It's hard not to. When I worked for Linden Lab, it was the first time in my life I had been around people who, across the board, everyone who worked for me, everyone I worked for, they were all brilliant. It was a group of people that was just so hyper-intelligent, hyper-productive, innovative insightful i i was i had been sort of afraid of that moment right of being the guy in the room that that kind of knew less and at that but i had this moment there where i realized that that was the most liberating place to be i was for the first time in my life surrounded with people who could sincerely could build any 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 piece of software 
and in some cases, any mechanism, any sort of physical invention that I could dream up, right? And so what I was bringing um, was a very particular background. It helped me hone in on, you know, exactly what, what I was able to bring to that picture. Um, and I was around these incredibly productive, brilliant people who were able to execute on that in a way that I only could in my head. And all the defensiveness at that point sort of went away. And I recognized for the first time, you read about this, right? You got to hire people who are smarter than you, whatever else. I saw firsthand, very viscerally, the value of surrounding yourself with people who are much, much smarter than, than, than yourself. Yeah, I think that takes a level of confidence, right? I mean, like, because your, your story is similar to mine in that I used to be very defensive, you know, like really just like kind of a jerk about it because I was so uncomfortable with kind of my position and felt like I needed to prove myself. And, um, you know, like I ran these big dinners, but I wasn't a chef. Like I hadn't gone to culinary school or anything. So I had to show the other people who had gone to culinary school who are working for me that I knew all the things that they knew when I clearly didn't know all the things that they knew. And there was something about what I was doing that was special and different and something they didn't know. And I think over the years, I've come to just be more comfortable that there is something, there is something I do really well. And I don't have to do everything really well. And again, yes, yeah, sur- trying to surround yourself as much as you can with people who are just a lot better at their job than you are. Um, is yeah, again, like it's a, like you said, it's like a very classic lesson, but it's really true. And I think it takes, it takes a moment to get there, right? Like you, like, like, I wonder if you have to go through that stage of like kind of being a jerk to get to the point where you can just relax a little bit. Like it's so much nicer to just be relaxed and, and, and be collaborative with people instead of competing against them. Yeah, I think it probably does take time. I, I actually, I think about that quite a bit. I'm, I don't think there's a shortcut to it, right? I mean, I think one, one benefit of age and experience for me is that I recognize that I, that I just don't know shit, right? That like, there is, there is so much unknown. Um, I'm never going to know it all. I'm never going to be able to outperform in that kind of way. I have to be incredibly good at whatever I can contribute to things. And I think we we all feel that. I actually worry about people who don't identify with imposter syndrome of some sort, whatever words you want to use, right? Where I think we we all feel that way. I do think it's an important part of the human condition. It's this kind of, it has this assimilative quality. Um, it has a humbling quality. Um, and it does, it helps us identify what we're actually good at, what we're not imposters at. Yeah, and I think if you don't ever feel that way if you are actually this like mystical 100% confident in every situation always doing everything correct the way that we kind of like all theoretically are trying to get to this point like how can you ever possibly have empathy for another human being who's not that way you know like if you're that like confident quote unquote and you just are like brash and kind of steamroll over everybody like you can't, you can't imagine what it's like to not have all the things you have, right? And 
and how can you, and also like, how can you ever make anything that's useful? Like, I think that like empathy is such an important aspect of making anything that anybody else really wants, right? Like all art is about like communicating some like universal human experience to other people that's like often hard or like solving some kind of problem that people actually like creating a product that people actually like is about solving some problem that we all have together and communicating it to people in such a way that they also feel like they want to be part of this thing you're making. Um, and so it does seem like this place we're all theoretically trying to get to where like, we're never anxious. We're never nervous. We always have the right answer. Like, you know, we sleep eight hours a night. We exercise every day, just like this kind of like perfection model that, theoretically people are trying to rise to like actually wouldn't be a person that you wanted to spend any time with anyway you know (laughs) like it's like like you like you you like people because they show their vulnerability to you and therefore you can connect with them right um you know it's something i see you doing a lot actually you know and i think it's like a really good way a really good connection yeah thank you i it it, well it it you saying that it strikes me that i think a lot of that is in our heads and and prevents us from doing the work that needs to be done i mean so that's the other way to look at the confidence thing is is it you know do we have the confidence to be in these rooms um or is some part of us trying to trying to derail the good work that needs to be done by convincing ourselves that we're not um that that we don't belong there right so we can we can stay out of those rooms and stay out of those processes, whether it's you know biotech or software or a community center or whatever it might be, um, because we don't feel like we fit. Um, or we can say, "Listen, yeah, I don't fit, but it's still urgent that I show up and participate in whatever way I can with this group of people," and that includes my my showing up includes my lack of experience and my um, lack of confidence around some of these things. And it also, you know, it includes a lot of other things, but we can't let it derail us from the good work. And that's what, if that's what drives me forward is, you know, every day I can, I can, you know, I can wake up and I can be a mess or whatever else, but we got to put one foot in front of the other and we've got to make stuff happen. Right. So um, I can't talk myself out of participating in things just because I don't feel qualified. I have to at least try. Um, and I think we spend a lot of time. I have two, two sons, um, one's 17 and one's 20 and I'm around them and they're friends a lot. And I remember doing this myself, this idea that I'm going to, I'm going to think about things, right? Like I, like I'm going to pull back and I'm going to think about, what I want to do with my life, for instance, um, you know, maybe I did at a point, but I don't really have, I don't have time for that. And, and, in my experience, that's not what works. What works is you go out and you do some kind of thing, right? You keep doing the work. And again, that's another way of putting things out into the world and being surprised every day is that you're just participating in some way that you're not worried about how do I get qualified to be in the room with these people? What accreditation do I need? How, what, what would I have to learn for them to see me in a certain way? 
the best thing to do is to just reach out, get in the room, do something, um, and get that feedback directly to really get engaged. Um, it's not a, you have to act your way into a new way of thinking, right? To use that phrase. If you think about anything you want to work on that's meaningful at all, and you think about it for too long, all you can see are all the, all the ways that it's not going to work, or right. like all the things you don't know how to do, or all the resources you don't have. But yeah, I mean, like you're saying, like if you just kind of like put one foot in front of the other, just like break it down to like little steps and like do a little bit of it each day, like it really works, you know? I mean, in, like in my experience. It does. Yeah, and yeah. there are, there are, you know, I don't want to make, um, you know, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of opportunities handed to me in all sorts of different ways in life. And I know it's not easy for everybody to do that. I've also in my life struggled with depression and other things like that. It's not always easy to just get your shit together and get out of bed and do the work. I recognize that it's, it's not quite that simple, but that, but that's the objective, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's well said. I think it's a good lesson because the world is totally overwhelming right now for everybody in so many different ways and everything seems too big and too intractable and it seems yeah. like someone else is the expert that is gonna fix it and why aren't those experts doing it like is the feeling like that most of us have but the reality is like we can all contribute something to it right like we all have yeah. some skill that other people don't have that if we just focused it a little bit, like we're all capable of creating a lot more than I think we do and helping yeah. a lot more than, than we do. I, I think that's true. Yeah. But we get our, we get ourselves into these traps. I think the other trap that I try to avoid is I try to remind myself that imperfect people, very imperfect people do really great things. You know, we have this historical look at, civilization and the people who have done these amazing things and the problem with historical looks is they tend to gloss over a lot of things and create this certain type of personality that then becomes revered or even expected so it's easy to say well i'm not like that person they were perfect in every way and the truth is and this is you know and i know you're a, a great student of history right when you go and you take a look and you actually dig into the biographies of all these great people they were not great people they were marginal people like me and you who had the you know the kind of audacity to do good things in spite of that right so i don't have to measure up as a person i just have to do the work well, that was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed the episode and learned a lot. I know I did. I also just want to say a personal note about my own kind of journey on this podcast road. So the first episode came out a couple of weeks ago. Thanks so much for people who listened and people who left comments and emailed me. You know, it means a lot hearing back from people. I've done a lot of projects. I've started a lot of businesses and done a lot of different events. And each one of those has been like me putting myself out there and kind of putting my voice out into the world in some ways. But there's something about the experience of putting out the podcast, honestly, that feels way more scary than those things did. Like there's something so vulnerable about putting your voice out into the world and having these conversations that are really intimate in a lot of ways. Like I'm having this really intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone and then it just goes out into the world to my whole email list and all the folks who have checked out my stuff over the years. 
Yeah, so I just want to say I really appreciate people who are who are kind of reaching out about it. You know, it's it's meant a lot, and um, it's really exciting. It's a kind of new challenge, and it feels like a big challenge to me. So that's all to say. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.